All right. God bless you guys. Good morning. I love seeing you guys connect with each other and uh, encourage you. Take every opportunity to invite each other out to lunch, set up a coffee, really encourage you to get into a small group because there is honestly no better way to get connected, to really develop good relationships than to be in a small group. And I bet, I bet there's not a small group that would turn you away even though they started this last week. If you wanted to start this week, I bet somebody would uh, make sure that you got into a group. So uh, make sure you're connecting that way. Hey, we're beginning a brand new message series called Percentages. And uh, I'm going to, uh, yesterday was my birthday, by the way. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I did not know you went gray at 38. It is, um, it's been a rough 37 years. Uh, and I know you came with cash gifts for me, but I do encourage you make sure to give to Convoy and go donate that instead to Convoy. I think it's so, I'm so proud of you guys because so far about the 7,000 that was raised, it really is through small gifts. We do have one individual that is going to give $10,000 and uh, actually already gave that, trusting that you guys are going to do uh, your part. But everything so far has come in in dollars $25, $100, $200, $50, $8, $10. All of that's come in through smaller gifts. So I'm so super proud of you guys for doing that. And I, I actually was texting uh, Brad and Ryan, two close friends who are at Convoy, uh, taking pictures of our staff with their shirts on and letting them know um, how much we had already sent and what we were going to send this week for Convoy. So I'm, I just want to let you know, I'm super proud of you guys. 30 days, and, and, and I believe that we're going to ultimately end up sending them $30,000 uh, by, by the time this week's over. That's, man, that's the beginning of the year we've done that. That's amazing. You, yeah, give yourselves a huge uh, round of applause for that. Or a really mediocre, terrible round of applause. Whatever you feel is uh, most fitting. So Netflix um, is running again. You know, Netflix pulls movies off and puts them back on, pulls shows off, puts them back on. Uh, they're running again the Hunger Games uh, movies because last year Hunger Games celebrated its 10th anniversary. This year, this March, this month is the 11th anniversary of the theatrical release of the Hunger Games movies. And so if you've seen any of those, then you are familiar with the saying, may the odds be ever in your favor. And that was kind of a way of saying, good luck. Hope the, hope the percentages lean your way because in those movies, if you're familiar, they fight to the death. So you definitely want the odds of living in your favor. Now, that's a futuristic, dystopian, Hollywood uh, imagination, fictional portrayal of, of how badly society can get where the rich and powerful uh, watch this event on TV where people uh, kill each other for their entertainment. And, and the one who prepares tips the odds in their favor, the one who's more talented, the one who's a better fighter, the one who can hide better, the one, whatever talent or thing you've got moves those percentages in your favor. We're not in that quite yet, but we are definitely in lives that want percentages to favor us. We want the odds to be in the favor of us 
being healthy, of not being confronted with life-threatening illnesses or undiagnosed diseases or, or, or maladies that affect the quality of our life. We want the odds to be in our favor of succeeding in life instead of feeling like we're constantly failing, of being happy instead of struggling with anxiety and fear and depression, of finding meaning in our life, not getting to the end and wondering what we did it all for, what was life all about. We want the odds to be that we're going to be financially secure. Most of us are okay with not being rich, but we want to be comfortable enough to see all of our needs met and then maybe something left over to enjoy. We want the odds to be in our favor of having a strong marriage instead of being one of the statistics where we failed in our relationship. We really want the odds to be in our favor of having smart, healthy, successful, strong, balanced kids that we raise. We desperately hope that the odds are indeed in our favor for everything that we care about in life. There was a uh, philosopher, he was a mathematician, but he was also a philosopher named Blaise Pascal. He lived in the 1600s. He was a 17th century uh, philosopher and mathematician. And he hypothesized that you could actually develop faith in God through mathematical reason. That there was a mathematical formula, essentially, to have faith in God. And here's what Pascal reasoned. That there is a God, or there is not a God. One of those two things is absolutely true, and you can't argue with that. There either is a God or there is not a God. He said that it is a much stronger, more profitable, more beneficial wager to bet on God's existence than to bet against God's existence, purely from a mathematical standpoint. And here's how he reasoned that. His hypothesis was this, if God exists and you believe in him, then the reward is infinite. You get pleasure and eternity and, and satisfaction and, and the reward is forever. And so it's a big, big payout to believe in God. If he exists, the reward is going to be immense. If God exists and you don't believe in him, then equally infinite is the consequence. Then he also went on to say, if God, however, does not exist, but you believe in him or you don't believe in him, either way, the consequence or the reward is going to be inarguably finite. We die and then there's nothing and so it really didn't matter and possibly the worst that happened to you if you believed in him but he doesn't exist is you gave up a few pleasures in life but otherwise you were a, probably a morally better person, a, a, a kinder person, a more compassionate person, a more serving person, a more loving person. You essentially would have been a better person by believing in him. So he said either way though it's finite and limited. Mathematically it makes more sense to believe in God. Now, I'm not telling you that Pascal's wager is the best route to believing in God. I'm not telling you that, um, that uh, you should reduce your faith down to a mathematical equation. But think of it like this. If you bought a lottery ticket in the 
the, uh, the mega lottery, the one where all the states participate, and it's gotten to where it's close to $2 billion. And you bought a ticket, your chance of winning that, let me give you your, your, your percentage of winning that. It's point zero 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 three four two four percent chance of winning that. It's so minuscule that all the odds are against you that you're going to win a billion dollars or two billion dollars for that dollar ticket you bought. However, there is a 100% certainty you will not win even the smallest lottery pool, the smallest lottery prize, if you don't buy a ticket at all. I'm not telling you to go play the lottery. What I'm telling you is the odds are in your favor when you buy a ticket, when you place your faith in the idea that it could pay off because no one's ever won the lottery who didn't have the winning lottery ticket. All I'm saying is this, Pascal was right to place a numeric value on the things that matter. Things that otherwise seem ethereal or vaporous or, or, or unsubstantial, things we can't measure normally with a measuring cup or a ruler or a dollar amount. Our faith, what we believe in that can't be quantified, that can't, doesn't have empirical, visible, witnessable evidence, our love. How much do you love your spouse? How much do you love your kids? Put that into a numeric value. It feels frustratingly hard to do that. Our personal integrity, our honesty, our reputation, our beliefs about anything, the values that drive us, what we say is more important than anything to us, like our care and love for our family, our finances. I know that there's dollar amounts to that, but there is a desire to add more to that that is possibly not measured in your life. Our possessions, our goals, our plans, our dreams, our emotional, spiritual, and physical maturity When's the last time you thought, well, I give myself a 10 on that or I give myself a 5 on that, where you've talked about the wholeness of it being 100%. If 100% is fully mature, it's, it's met my full potential, it's, it's at its peak of healthiness, that's the wholeness of a pie, right? A pie chart, a pie graph. We say this is the wholeness of it. Where are you at in any of those things? When you start to add values to it, and I mean measurable numeric values to it, you're able to see what really matters to you. You're also able to see what you say matters to you, but potentially doesn't matter as much as you think it does. You're able to actually begin to see what percentage of time you give here and what percentage of effort you put there. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't save your treasures for yourself, all that matters to you, the things that you accumulate for yourself here on earth. 
Moths and rust will destroy them. Things that eat up temporal things, they'll get to them. And thieves can break into your house and steal them. There's nothing secure that you can save here on earth. Instead, save your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust or where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Now, listen, that is not to say that the things that we value here on earth aren't also valued in heaven because you think, well, I can't save up my car in heaven. I can't save up my money in heaven. I can't save up my house in heaven because we're thinking of those as being earthly treasures. Maybe, maybe not. We often can't... uh, um, Uh, uh, place the proper value on things because we've never taken the time to give an eternal value to something or a temporal value to something. And what possibility we have of exchanging those and giving eternal value to things we thought were just temporary. Jesus in that passage talked about what was important to us, our treasures, and how important they really were. If they're so important, why would you invest them and save them in a place where they can be destroyed. Somebody loaned me a book uh, this week, and uh, uh, last Sunday actually, and they said it's rare and it's valuable, and so please take care of it. And I almost always refuse to take something from somebody that's rare and valuable because I don't want to be responsible for it. And so I got home and I actually looked it up, like, Is it rare and is it valuable? And there was one copy for sale on Amazon for $185 for a book that's only about that thick. And it's a lot of responsibility to take something that has immense value. There are two kinds of valuable things. By the way, I want you to take a big deep breath. My birthday gift to you is there are no points to this message. This is a long introduction to the series, okay? Doesn't mean you're going to get out of here any earlier. I'm just saying you don't have to worry about keeping notes. There's stuff that God thinks is important, and there's stuff that we think is important. We as people think is important. Jesus was telling his disciples um, that he had to Uh, go through this very difficult thing. He had to be arrested. He had to be abused. He had to be falsely accused. And he had to be crucified and go into the grave in order for God to see his plan fulfilled. And uh, here is a, a perfect example of what we think is important and what God thinks is important coming into a clashing uh, moment of conflict. This is a perfect example, and he has this exchange with Peter in Mark 8, 32 through 37. It goes like this. Jesus told them plainly what would happen. He describes the scenario. Then Peter took Jesus aside. This is in front of the disciples and a crowd of people, by the way. Takes Jesus aside. I need to talk to you. And he began to tell him not to talk like that. Jesus, we don't, we don't talk about those things. We don't talk like that. That's negative confession. And we don't talk about dying and getting hurt and, and being abused and arrested, okay? Jesus, okay, buddy, need to go back. Need you to keep that, keep that attitude positive, okay? Thank you. All these guys are looking up to you. We don't like them. 
That's scary talk, okay? And then, but Jesus turned and uh, looked at uh, his followers. Then he told Peter not to talk that way. Um, you don't talk to me that way, Peter. Um, not because Peter was, um, um, didn't have the right to say something, but he was wrong in what he was saying. And he said, go away from me, Satan. He didn't think Peter was actually Satan, but he's like, this is the way the enemy talks. This is how the enemy thinks. You don't care about the things of God, but only about the things people think are important. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his followers. And he said, if people want to follow me, they must give up things they want and they must be willing to even give up their lives to follow me. Those who want to save their lives will give up true life. But those who give up their lives for me, for the good news, will have true life. It's worthless to have the whole world if they lose their souls. There could never, uh, they could never pay enough to buy their souls back. Here's what Jesus was saying. Listen, there's what you think is important and there's what God thinks is important. And I'm telling you, if you spend your whole life trying to get what you think is important, that you think is true life and you won't get life at all because this, what's truly important, that's true life. You don't get it because you think that's true life. But I'm telling you, if you give up this life, you're going to get this life and that's real life. Jesus was not absolving all of us from having to invest ourselves in work and make money and, and prioritize health and do things in this world. He wasn't saying, listen, don't spend any time worried about any of that because none of this matters at all. It's just that he said, you put the wrong value on the wrong things. We think, Pastor Dan, could you help me real quick? I'm going to give you a visual illustration and um, uh, uh, camera people, I'm sorry. I threw this on our whole team this morning. None of them knew I was doing this. And so this is not at all set up the way it really should have been. I just started telling them where to throw tables and they had to get up and readjust all the lighting and probably cameras aren't set up to do all this. And so my apologies if you can't see everything the way that you want to or should. So here are the things, these are, these are the pies, we'll call them, of things that we think are important. We're going to call these the stuff I think is important pie. That's the flavor of each of these. And, and our beliefs and our values, and that's important. We, we are passionate about our beliefs, and we don't want our values deprioritized in society. We'll fight for them. We'll stand up. We'll vote. We'll protest. We'll do the things to protect those, our, 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 our maturity and our health. Nobody, I don't think, I don't think anybody claims to be unhealthy and immature. And if they do, then they hopefully are in some sort of therapy or, or, or work to move that immaturity and unhealthiness in the right direction. Uh, money and possessions, it's the thing we all cringe to admit that that matters to us. We, we don't want to say money matters to me and my possessions matter to me. If they did not, you would have neither. You just give it all away as soon as you got it. I don't want any of that. I, that none of that matters to me. 
But we, we save and we spend and we do the things because we feel that money gives us some level of power and influence and control over our lives. I, if I'm sick enough and I have enough money, I can buy health care. And if, if, if there's a, an event that happens in my life in which I, I need uh, something that I don't have, then I can do that. If I want to go on vacation because I'm so stressed because of my job, then we can do that as a family. Our dreams and our plans... I don't know that any of us feel like we're right in the middle of living our dreams, but we have plans to get there. We want more than what we have, and we dream about that. Our time and our priorities, listen, just like money, there's a limited amount of those things. You can only prioritize so many things because if you can't prioritize everything at once because then it's not a priority anymore. You've just brought everything up to the same level or down to the same level in time. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day and you do have to sleep and you've got to take care of kids and you have to show up for your job. And so there's this really finite amount of time that you can give to really anything else. And then family and marriage and friends, the relationships that matter to us. Sometimes people won't join small groups because they go, I don't have time for more people in my life. I can't start a new friendship. I, it's, it's, it's draining to me. I can, I can barely keep up with the relationships I have now. Those, those are the things that matter to us. And you think, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to be in relationship with a God who doesn't care about those things also. I don't, I don't think God doesn't care about these. I know God cares about these things. It's just that I'm going to move these out of the way so I can sort of get to the pie because that's, that's really what, what living is, is how we manage this, this pie. So, so it's, it's not that God doesn't care about our health or success. It's that we place so much, let's say, care about importance, about and energy, about the health and success of our kids, right? That we will neglect the health and success of our own marriage. It's not that our kids' success and our kids' happiness isn't important. It's that we'll neglect one in order to get another. That's how we sort of misprioritize things. Here's our, our beliefs and our, our values. We'll, we'll stand up. I didn't even cut this pie. Oh, my Lord. So that's sometimes a problem there. And I got tablecloth inside the pie in case somebody wants to enjoy that later. And, um, and so we have to divvy this up. This is our beliefs and our values. And I know that PC on Sunday says that we need to love people. I will get to loving people when people will stop being such raging morons and, um, and when they stop being so terribly offensive and doing terrible things and, and trying to do, and I got to put this over and I'm going to move this, um, my, this is the, um, see, my kids need, and I'm going to do, wait a second, I got time and priority too. I have to give time to make sure this and, um, but wait, I can't give all that to, so I'm going to do, um, if they allow certain books in schools, my kids will turn into Satan worshipers, so I have to put some time into there, and then um, here's another problem, is um, marriage and family, I'm going to have to give up some of this, because my family understand I'm doing this for 
them. And I'll, you, you, you see that we manage all of these and we put them all in the places that we think are important. And we do that because we're convinced, we're convinced that our management of all of this, our prioritization of all of this, the value, the percentage of these things that we give to the right things, the right things, right, that those are going to equal all the things that we want from life. We're going to make sure our kids turn out good because we're going to make sure that we gave them all the, and, 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 and my kids, they're going to want, um, they're going to, want uh, 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 to be in part of soccer and cheer and volleyball and high lie, which we don't even play in this area, but I think they would be well-rounded because that takes an extra uh, real skill to play high lie. And then lacrosse, too. That's very fancy, I think, rich people. So they're probable, they say that people who play lacrosse make 27% more annually than people who didn't play lacrosse. So I'm going to set my kids up for true success by doing that. And so I'm going to spend a bunch of my money um, spending uh, a bunch of my time. What do we got here? Uh, unexpected circumstances. Oh, that's right. Um, people expect my kids to turn out great. Oh, I've already kind of filled that pan up with those pieces of pie there. And uh, we frantically move from piece to piece, from pie to pie, to place to place, because we don't know what's actually important. We want to make more and more money and collect more and more possessions because it makes us feel safer. Don't tell me that there's a single person in here who doesn't feel better when you have a full 401k, when you have full savings, when you have full checking, when you've got envelopes tucked under mattresses, when you've got a wallet full of money than the person who doesn't know how they're going to pay their bills this month. Don't tell me that money and possessions don't make you feel better and safer. So we've got to make more so that we can feel more more connected to safety, and more, more capable of getting all of this stuff that we want to do. But we don't prioritize the fact that God may be taking our generosity, or hopefully us acting in generosity, take the resources that he's sending us, and actually let that collide with the person who can't pay their bills this month. Because they've been laid off work because they're getting cancer treatment. Or the person whose spouse left them, cheated on them and the family and left them, and financially they can't keep up now. They have to pay for childcare so they can go back to work full time, and their parents are elderly and can't help watch the kids. And, but we've got to save more, and we've got to have more, and we've got to keep more. And so we miss the importance of being God's person in somebody's life in that moment. Here's what that can look like when we put priority on the things God doesn't care about. It's not that the thing itself doesn't have value. It's that we put the value of it in the wrong place. Look at what it says in Mark 14, 30, uh, 4 through, Mark 14 3 through 7. Uh, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had Leprosy. You'll actually see in some translations it says a man with leprosy, but he couldn't have hosted people in his home unless he was over leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. If you don't know spike nard, uh, nard is just short for spike nard. It's a, it's a more rare plant that has a beautiful fragrance. 
She broke open the jar, which means that it was irretrievable at that point. It was irreversible at that point. There's nothing could be saved of it. And poured the perfume over his head. In Jewish culture, this was anointing. It was the symbolized the covering of God over you, the, the, the flowing of the Holy Spirit's power and protection over you. Some of those at the table, some of his own disciples, were indignant. Other translations will say furious. Why waste such an expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Now, I'm going to tell you, right here is hyperbole and exaggeration. The, the translated number is that it's actually about a day's wages. But I want you to think about what you make in a day, your household income for a day, and think about having a bottle of perfume or cologne that cost a day's wages. So they scolded her harshly, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among them and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. Here's the thing, she understood the value of the perfume, they, the criticizers, understood the value of the, value of the perfume, Jesus understood the value of the perfume. What happened was, she understood what it really meant to spend this on him instead of spending it on the poor. There was some criticism of the organization that bought ads for the Super Bowl to promote the reputation of Jesus, to help restore the reputation of Jesus. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but um, the ad campaign is He Gets Us. And they spent $20 million, two ads, $10 million apiece. And the internet blew up with people saying they could have given that money to the poor. And it's hard to argue with that. They could have. But here's how I argue with them. What of your money could you have spent on the poor instead of on yourself? Your car payment, your cell phone, your $7 Starbucks latte, half frappuccino, oat milk, latte, crap. I don't drink coffee, so I don't even know how to even make fun of coffee but I don't spend $7 for anything. I spent $12 on a Diet Coke last night. That was horrible because we were at a show and that's what it cost and that was really bad. But anyway, you could have given that money to the poor. There was a moment in which Jesus helped them see you don't get it. She is realizing and recognizing and establishing in front of you, I am exactly who I say I am. She sees me as God. She knows, and she's anointing my body, it goes on to say, for burial. She's preparing me for my purpose and mission to lay down my life for the world. They although it seemed really, really important. The poor, the poor, the poor. Jesus said the poor, you're never going to run out of poor. 
There's always going to be a need. You can always, this moment though, this is what that perfume should have been spent on. This is an important moment. Give, every, give all you want to the poor. Make up for her wastefulness. But she gets it. She understands it. She gave 100% of something that was invaluable to her. So whether it was a year's wages or a day's wages, it was expensive and she could have sold it and she could have benefited from it and she could have done good things with it and then actually taken her family out for a great dinner. She could have done a million things with it and she wasted it all, quote unquote, wasted it all. 100%, she broke the jar. She didn't hold back. Not one percent, she didn't hold it, she poured it all out. What an amazing thing to understand the value of a moment and give everything to it. My question is, I think, do you and I understand the value of every moment? Do we understand that this temporal thing, this, this treasure of hers was spent eternally? Do you see how it converted from if she had given it to the poor? Can I, can I just give you an example? Um, I took Caleb when he was about 11 uh, years old to uh, 10, maybe, to uh, Uganda, Africa. And I saw kids with literally open flesh, chunks missing from their feet, walking through the streets, no parent, no adult, no supervisor. And I, I would ask the local pastor, who's taking care of that child? Oh, nobody. What do you mean nobody? They just live out here. And he's like, well, I mean, they beg for food. This is a, t I can't probably even speak. A chunk of flesh missing from a raw open wound. And I said, who's going to take care of, he said, with what? The child has no money. Where are his parents? They could have abandoned him or they could have died of AIDS or malaria. Probably being raised by a sibling. But maybe somebody even dropped him off hoping that an orphanage would pick him up because he probably has a better percent chance, better percentage of, of success living on the streets being taken care of by strangers than by the poverty in his own home. And you know what I thought? I thought, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sell everything. It's going to be hard to break to Lisa, but I'm going to sell everything and we're just going to come back here and we're going to take care of all these kids. And that local pastor sat down and he said, I, I know what you're thinking. Um, I need to tell you that all the money in the world can't change what's happening. It has to be hearts and minds that change. It has to be a shift in the beliefs of the government and the leadership and the people of this community. They have to change the way they live. He began to talk about Moving it beyond that temporal where I could take my temporal money and feed it to a temporal problem and instead changing the culture. And that's the shift from, from the things, from treasures here to treasures there is changing lives. Paul warned us in Colossians 3, 2, listen to what it says, pursue the things over which Christ Precise, chase after those things. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going around. 
Christ, going on around Christ. That's where the action is, three things from his perspective. So listen, this pie right here has value. It really does. This one has value. This one, pumpkin pie, my favorite pie, has value. It's not that these things are valueless, it's that we put them into all the wrong things. Our fears, our, 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 our insecurities, our priorities, the, the kind of things that we think will change our lives. We just keep moving pie around and it keeps getting consumed or we keep realizing that doesn't have the room for it or we've neglected one entirely because we put it all into this one. This one's empty, this one's full, this one's half full and we begin to realize we have no clue what actually moves us towards our highest and best lives. And so Paul said, pursue the things that are important to Christ. Put all of this, and I'm going to leave you with the words of Jesus. I'm going to leave you with the words of Jesus. And you've heard this said before, but Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Don't worry and say, what will we eat? What are we supposed to drink? What will we wear? What, how will we get the things we need right now, right here? That's what those people who don't know God are always thinking about. Don't worry because your Father in heaven knows already you need all of those things. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Then he'll give you all these other things you need. So here's what happens. You just go, uh, man, family and, and marriage and and my friends and relationships, um, I just, I'm going to put it here. I'm going to just take out all this stuff, my insecurities, the needs of other people, because my gosh, somebody needs us. My parents need us. My friend needs us. Uh, uh, the kids need us. Our expectations of ourselves and the expectations of people around us, the expectations of our spouse and our family, my ha it's, listen, nothing's more important in life than your happiness. If you're not happy, get out of your marriage. Find somebody that makes you happy. If you're not happy, leave your family. If they don't make you happy, find a family that does. Make a family that does. You don't, you don't quit your job. Jobs are meant to make you happy. If you go to a church where we're not feeding your happiness, you need to go church shopping and make sure your happiness can, you do hear the sarcasm in my voice, correct? <laughs> Who cares about your happiness? Happiness is contentment. It's peace. Paul said, I'm happy when I don't have stuff and I'm happy when I do have stuff because I realize it doesn't really matter. It's just temporary anyway. Because in this moment, I've got it. And I know that at any moment I might not have it. And in this moment I don't have it. And I can stay stuck here whining about it. When all along God's waiting to deliver something to me. But he's not going to reward me for my really bad attitude and bad behavior. And not trusting him. And so you just begin to take it all and you just start setting it over. 
and, and, and putting it right in front of God and just saying, I, I don't even know how to divvy this up. I don't even know how to give this to the things that need it. I'm just going to say, this is important to me, but I want it to matter more to you. I want you to do something meaningful with this. I want to take all of this and pour it over you. Pour it at your feet. Give it to you. Recognize that you're God. Recognize that you understand the value of all of this more than I do. And here's the kind of God he is. He will not starve you of that. Jesus isn't going, oh, thanks for bringing me a pie. Oh, I love your pie. Mm, mm. You don't get any pie because you gave the pie to me. I, I keep the pie. I keep all the pie. It's pretty good. That's not Jesus at all. He just says, you're going to be amazed at how little of the pecan pie, which I can't stand, <laughs> you're going to be amazed how little of that you actually need. You thought it was the most important thing, but I'm going to let you know that isn't. It's not nearly as important. And that thing over there and the thing over there, and, and it's not, and, and I don't need all of that from you. You think I want to take it all. I don't need all of that. I just need you to be able to give me in that moment what it takes for this moment to turn out exactly as I planned for it to be. Would you take a minute and just close your eyes, bow your heads. There's nothing magical about that at all except it gives you a moment. It gives you a second to respond to God today. If you aren't a follower of Christ, I want to tell you the best news that you're going to hear in your whole life is that he loves you exactly as you are. The Bible says that we were still enemies of God when Jesus came to lay down his life, to remove the eternal consequence of rebellion against God. He didn't need your righteousness. He didn't need your goodness. He didn't need you to be at your best. He didn't need you to, to right your way beyond all your wrongs. He doesn't need you to do anything to make you right with God. But you have the power to accept or reject that grace, that love, that forgiveness, that kindness. And so if you want to say yes to him, to that, you don't have to do this, but I would encourage you just as an as a outward symbol of something happening in your heart, you just put up your hand and then you can put it back down. Nobody else is looking around. It's just me this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Can we do this? Can every single person in the room, we're just going to kind of pray this out loud like every one of us raised our hands with those who did. Christ Jesus, I want to see you for who you are. I don't claim to have all the faith to be a perfect follower. 
but I give you my heart today and I give you my life and I become your follower today. If you will, accept me just as I am. Wash away every stain and keep me right before you. Now, if you raised your hand, there's a gift out at the Connection Kiosk and Bookstore that you can just get for free. You don't have to, it just somebody out there will hand you that packet. It's got a Bible, a really good Bible in it, and it's got three little booklets that are going to get you started in your journey of faith following Christ. Please don't leave here without that. But if you would also say, I need help with my percentages with my pie management, with recognizing the difference between what's important to him and what's important to me. I want to make everything important to me what's already important to him. That's my commitment today, that everything that's important to him, that's what becomes important to me. I want to trust him. I want to break it all open for him. I want to pour it all out for him. That's my commitment today. If that's you, just throw a hand up as well. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. God, thank you so much. Thank you for not belittling what matters to us, for not beating us up for what matters to us, but also thank you for helping us see that what matters to us sometimes matters in all the wrong ways or at the wrong times or in the wrong percentages. We put so much value into one thing, we neglect so many other good things that you want to see accomplished and fulfilled and expressed in our lives our beliefs and our convictions and our, our priorities and all the things, our dreams, our goals, they're good things. But they keep us from the best things. And so we put it all on your table, God. We present all of those pies to you and we'll just obediently, God, piece that out as you want us to, as you call us to, as you direct us and guide us to. That's our prayer today, every single one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.